and welcome to Behind the Scaffolding, a podcast where we talk to writing teachers about the hows and whys of what we do in the classroom, coming to you from the University of Michigan. I'm Angie Berkeley. And I'm Gina Brandolino. On this episode, we talked about a thorny problem that all writing teachers have faced or will inevitably face in their classrooms, and that's plagiarism. Plagiarism. Yeesh, it's awful when it happens. And I think I speak for many writing teachers when I say that this is one of the more difficult issues that come up for us in our classrooms. We talked with one of our resident experts on this subject, Steve Engel, who's studied and written extensively on the topic of plagiarism. Steve has been a teacher for over 25 years, including 14 years as a high school English and drama teacher and three years as an assistant professor at Mary Grove College in Detroit. Most recently, he has been a lecturer here at the University of Michigan in the EDWP since 2017. Next year, and this is sad because we're losing him, although we are very happy for Steve, next year he will start as the Director of Composition and Assistant Professor of English at Defiance College. Congratulations, Steve, and we will miss you. Steve describes his teaching philosophy like this. Teaching writing, he says, is about becoming aware of and strengthening relationships the connections between the writer and the text, the process and the product, and the writing and the writing. That's really interesting, connections between the writing and the writing to think about. So many interesting possibilities there. Deep. Very. Really deep. And I think what Steve says here about connections speaks to what often feels so bad to us as teachers when our students do plagiarize. It can feel like a violation of these connections that Steve mentions. But Steve's perspective on plagiarism helped us see more than just crime when we thought about plagiarism. Our conversation helped broaden our perspective on what plagiarism means, why students do it, and how we can respond to it in more productive ways, how we can see it as a teaching opportunity rather than just a violation or a crime or even a sin, as we so often do when it happens. So let's have a listen. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. That's good. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Scaffolding. Yeah, no problem. All right. So we want to talk with you about plagiarism. So All right. This is what your research is on, and I'm sure you have lots of experience dealing with it, hopefully not too much experience, which kind of leads me to my first question. Plagiarism is often something that we instructors feel like is the worst possible thing that can happen in the classroom, a sin. There are all these sort of moral and ethical you know, associations that we have with it. Um, but I wondered if you could talk a little bit about alternatives to seeing it in this way. Sure. I, I remember a moment uh, when I was a graduate student mentor and we had to read everybody's syllabi. And there was one uh, instructor who said in the plagiarism policy that plagiarism is the worst thing that you can do at the <laughs> University of Michigan. And I thought, well... <laughs> I mean, we don't want to encourage any of these other things, but I think there are other things that would be much worse than plagiarizing a paper. And I think when we talk about it as a sin or as a crime, we really limit the way we can talk about it, right? Because we've upped the ante of it. If this is a sin, we're talking about your soul here, right? right. If it's a crime, we're talking about punishment. Jail time. That's right. That's right. And we, when we encounter it, we get that emotional reaction because I think the language has, has primed us for that. So I like to think about it more as a literacy practice, because that allows us to see all of the elements of plagiarism in there, right? That it's not just a textual feature, but it's a student doing something with writing that we're part of, that we're a 
you know, just when we think about uh, like literacy in general, we don't just think of it as an individual learning a skill done. No, we see it uh, situated in a context. So if we can see plagiarism as situated in a context, right, that we can have people who are sort of literacy sponsors for plagiarism. Are there ways in which we, as teachers, encourage plagiarism? Do we set it up to be a place where plagiarism can happen so that it's not just an individual uh, doing something wrong? It's not just somebody succumbing to temptation or, you know, going on a life of crime or something like that, but it's, it's this thing that people do with reading and writing that we respond to. And it's not the kind of literacy that is helpful in this context, but in other contexts, people are happy to do that. If you're in business, they don't want you to reconstruct the form of a, of a press release. Matter of fact, when you send out that press release, it'd be really nice if people would copy it exactly. That's sort of like the end goal. And so, you know, they, they, there was a study in which they looked at um, sort of cheating behaviors and they used plagiarism in school and stealing in the workplace, right? As if these are the same things. But they didn't look at plagiarism in the workplace because that's not what they're concerned about. So seeing it as a literacy practice allows us to see all of the various uh, elements and I think tone down some of the outrage uh, that we have. We can still find places for outrage, but it's not <laughs> the primary motivation then when we encounter it. I'm trained as a medievalist and in the Middle Ages, plagiarism or sort of borrowing was a sort of, it was a time honored tradition. It was how you gave credit and paid homage to writers that came before you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's easy to think about plagiarism the way we think about it as sort of a timeless thing, you know, a timeless law. And it's not, it's not. I think though, um, there, there are certainly different kinds of plagiarism, or there are certain things that exist under the umbrella of plagiarism that it's probably helpful for us to parse a little more carefully. Um, and some, some terms I want to ask you about. So there's, there's what I would call plagiarism. And then something that's some more Angie said you would describe as fraud, mm -hmm. buying a paper. Um, and then there's something even still more specific that my own mentor, um, Kathy Smith at Indiana University, called citation issues. Mm -hmm. She would sort of distinguish between that and plagiarism. I wonder if you could sort of parse plagiarism for us, help us think a little bit about the kinds of differences that exist under that umbrella. Right. And, and the problem is, right, we have this big umbrella and we often react to it to all of those different um, activities in the same way, right? And so this is when students will come up to you and say, I failed this paper because I didn't have a quotation mark in the right place, right? And that feels very different than I bought this paper online. So that, like the fraud, uh, I think most people can agree, we can be outraged with that, right? We can feel like that is the thing that really undercuts community. That's the thing that um, makes the the learning difficult, right? right? Because you're not you're not doing the work, and then the outrage there seems fair. The other uh, ones uh, thinking about like citation error is that citations are are really difficult to learn, and I, when I hear some of the ways I try to explain citation to students, I, I 
say this is why they're totally confused, right? I can make a really clear distinction between what is common knowledge and what isn't. This is something, oh, you definitely must cite. Oh, this is something that you don't have to cite, right? And we can see it in, in uh, academic writing, right? As you become more famous in the field, you end up citing less. When you read some of the, the, the big shots, they just sort of drop all of these big ideas without a citation in sight because this is common knowledge for them, right? They might have come up with this idea. So they're not going to cite it. And students, all of this is brand new, right? Right. Tone in a novel is brand new. Yeah. Oh, there could be tone, right? Do I have to cite that tone, the definition of tone, right? Or do I have to cite um, a conversation in the class? And so citation is not just about being able to read an MLA guidebook, but there's really a lot of rhetorical practices that are tied up in there that are really complicated. And that seems like a learning issue. That's, that's something we're trying to teach students how to figure out. And this is, again, going back to this idea of sin. Right. Right? Is not being able to read the MLA guidebook a sin? Um, I hope know, not. I hope not, right? I can't um, do it. <laughs> and, and you know you come to these examples of, you know, how do you quote somebody referencing something in a tweet that then is posted on Instagram that somebody <laughs> showed me a screenshot of in a class. And you're like, I don't know, right? I mean, right. these are, are tough things. And if this is the same as someone went out and bought a paper. Definitely right? not. These are really, are really different yeah. items. Um, I think the uh, other one is uh, patch writing, yes. right? Yeah. Where you are uh, taking bits of language and sort of stringing them together. This, uh, Rebecca Moore Howard has done some really good work on thinking about it as a developmental issue. This is how we learn to write, right? And we know that the harder the content is that we're writing about, sort of our skills in writing and our fluency decreases a little bit. So if you're trying to write about really difficult things, you might lose some of the things that you knew in an easier subject. And I think same thing with language happens. To write about something brand new and you say, oh, paraphrase it. And they say, I don't know any of these words. How do I paraphrase it if I don't know any right. of these words? And if I put it in all my own words, it's a, it doesn't mean the same thing anymore. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think as we get better in a field, as we become more comfortable in a field, our scraps of writing become smaller. Right. So I always worried, like, if we turn my dissertation to turnitin.com, right, and put it up against all my mentors' works, right, there would be these little snippets of things that showed up as they were helping me become fluent in that field. They would say, oh, this is the way you want to talk about this thing that happened in the classroom. Okay, I'll use that language. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that idea of... Um, Patch writing, citation error, fraud. Um, and then there are just some um, uses of uh, sources that we, we don't want to encourage or we have mixed feelings about, right? I'm thinking about Wikipedia or, or something like that where we say you can use it, but you can't cite it, right? Which is this really weird message. Um, so plagiarize it. So plagiarize right. it, but don't tell me. <laughs> right, right? right. It's, it's almost like this don't ask, don't tell weird mm -hmm. moment where we're going to admit that students use Wikipedia because we all use Wikipedia, right? Like, oh, what was that concept again? I'm going to look at this for this quick update. But when students do it, we don't want them to acknowledge it. So um, 
Yeah, so there, I think there are lots of varieties of plagiarism, but we treat them all usually as the same thing. Right. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you try to realize this idea of plagiarism as a literary literacy practice in your classrooms. Like you've talked about the difficulties and challenges of, of parsing MLA citations and patch writing and patch writing in particular as like a way towards learning. So what do you do like in the classroom to try and maybe you could talk about a few little assignments or something that you do to try and help students wade through this or meet, meet this challenge, learn from it. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I remember this uh, tweet that came out a little bit ago by Catherine uh, Prendergast, uh, and she said, if I don't teach it, I don't grade it. Yeah. And so I was thinking, all right, so what do I want to teach mm -hmm. about plagiarism? So I really want to split this idea of citation practice as one thing I, I can teach and source evaluation as another thing. So they in this semester, students were writing about um, uh, a Calvino novel and really difficult, complex. And I could tell a lot of them were going to Schmoop, which is this you know place where there are summaries and analyses of of that. And I thought I want them to indicate where they're getting their information from. Right, that's the first part. Then we can talk about the quality of sources. So that can I have them at least in an acknowledgement section say, this is where I got some of this information from. This is what was helpful, right? This website or talking to my roommate or going to Sweetland. This is how I developed my ideas. Okay, so I've got acknowledgement. I can do citations separately. And then we can talk about the quality of the sources. Like who's writing Schmoop? right? How accurate it is. Who? What's the audience, right? So rather than just making that like this, this is where it feels like a sin. That's an evil temptation that we just want to pretend doesn't exist. But if I can say, here it is, let's get the citation, the acknowledgments part down. And then we can talk about whether or not that's the greatest source out there for you. And when they're, again, they're struggling just to figure out what's going on in the novel. That seemed like a pretty good source, right? And maybe them, I'm a horrible teacher for admitting that a plot summary was really helpful for them to get a sense of what's going on. Okay. Right. Um, but I wanted to say, these are the things that I want to want to look at. Right. It strikes me that using a really difficult novel would be a good way into that in a way, because if, if students, if everyone is on the same page about it being difficult, right, mm -hmm. then no one feels bad about, or people feel less bad maybe about consulting such a source. And then it's easier for it to be all out in the open. So right. that's good. Yeah. Right. It's one thing to do that for like the sun also rises. Right. 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 But a really difficult novel will sort of create fertile ground to talk about this issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you do about citation in general? Because I or maybe not in general, I should say in particular, because that's something I always struggle to teach in an interesting way. And I just wonder how much you pay attention to where does the comma go? Or yeah, you know not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I, I don't get caught up in, okay. in the punctuation. I think because in my career, they've come out with a new edition of MLA right when I'm completing some major project, right? So it felt like right well, so as I was finishing my master's, new edition came out. As I was finishing up my dissertation, like new edition came out. So that it felt like I was having to relearn something. Um, 
in, in high pressure situations. So, and that didn't feel very helpful to me to have memorized the site, you know, MLA three or whatever it was in um, high school, right? Um, because it changes. So um, I was thinking of like the open letter assignment that we have here and how weird citations look in an open letter. A letter is a, a normal place to cite things. Right? Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. And here's my letter board. and with yeah. my work cited list at the end. <laughs> and um, so I was thinking, how can we cite? How can we make the, the moves of citation, even if it doesn't look like an MLA citation? So a lot of them were able to link directly yeah, that's great. in the text. And I thought, this is doing what I want them to do, right? And it looks more like a letter than um, than a research paper. Well, it looks like something they would read online because you see that in the long-form pieces that you read online, the hyperlinks. That's right. And we, you mm -hmm. know, when you say, here's this real audience, mm -hmm. yeah. And then who's going to to do this? So you know, thinking about like how do you do? Why well, do citations? And are there ways to do them that that accomplish the the purposes? Mm -hmm. It strikes mm -hmm. me that a really good place to go for that would be this the, to study speeches, which have mm -hmm. to lay bare their citations in a way that are clear to an audience listening. Do you know what I mean? Right. So links work if you're reading, but I was thinking, well, how do you how do you cite maybe? you know, a poem or a novel that's not available online. Um, and one way to do that would just be, you know, as so-and-so said, her poem, whatever. Do you right. know what I mean? Right. So there, there are moves like, like that that you could make. But it's interesting to me that to hear both of you talking about being loath to teach citation because, of, so I don't teach citation either. However, in our work at um, Sweetland in Writing Workshop, where we work with writers on any text that they bring in um, for class that they need help with, we are often asked, students come in purely for help with citation. I just need help making this APA style, or I just need to know how to cite, you know, a, a, a text or, or, or whatever in, uh, like, I mean, a, like a text on a phone in MLA citation style, like mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the part of, so the part of me that's a teacher that doesn't want to teach this is like, there's no reason to teach this. Like you all said, the part of me who is the person expected to know all this is like, why aren't they teaching this? Where will <laughs> right. we learn it? And especially because I work with a number of graduate students here who have started using citation programs like computer programs, which are awful. Yes. And I feel like there's, there comes a point where. My, my ultimate question here is how do you learn the citation system if nobody's teaching it, including me? Like, I'm not like you guys, but also maybe that's just on you at, at a certain point. If you want to be an academic, you have to decide I'm going to learn Chicago style. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about like where that moment happens, right? Where do we stop training undergraduates? to be like us when they're not going to be like right. us, right? So there is this notion that we need to, all these students need to know MLA because that's the citation practice of scholars. And they have no intention to be a scholar, right? And we're like, well, but in this case, you're going to be a scholar. So you need to learn this practice, right? Um, and so I, I see that tension, right? Yeah. It's, it's the... This is the way it is. So we need to make them successful in that. But 
Is that the way it needs to be? I don't know. For freshmen, it does seem silly to worry about that comma, right? right? For freshmen, it seems smartest to teach them you have to acknowledge your sources in a way that makes sense to you. That right. Yeah. And I mean, if you become, you know, a first year graduate student and you need to learn APA style, well, then you better start learning it. Right. And it, it is just reading a book. You know? Right. Well, and I think if you can, what we can do is teach them like how citations work. Right. And what what's the purpose and what's maybe the theory behind the citation practice. Right. Just, um, you know, how MLA looks different than APA and for what reasons. Right. That APA foregrounds the date because they tend to want to know more timely resources mm -hmm. and humanities. Right. Then 1601 text still is pretty good. We like that. You know, uh, you can still quote Hamlet. Um Right. But uh, if you don't understand what's going on and it's just about commas. That I, that I find can be really harmful in a way at, at times, because I think the students, some students really fixate on that. They mm -hmm. fixate on the commas and the right format. They're sure it's going to sink them. And exactly. Mm -hmm. And that that distracts them, I think, from looking at the more difficult things. Right. Um, and like like what is the source really doing? Like, does the source really, really fit? You know, am I using yeah. it in the in in the most productive way? Right, right, and it's easier to worry about a comma, definitely, than to worry about summarizing right? or to worry about you know. And the I think the most frustrating thing is that there, you want to tell these students stop worrying about the comma, but I think there are teachers who are also worried about the comma. Yes. And what we need here is like a total sea change in thinking about citation, you know, across the academy, you know, all the way. And right. I just don't know that it will will ever happen. But it seems to me similar to the way that we think about um, multilingual writers and, you know, getting getting teachers to recognize, you know, these aren't students who can in a day learn where a definite article goes right. you know, or even in a year or five. This right. is a learning process. I feel like having that same uh, change happen with citation would really help students. And what's, what we're doing now is really just allowing teachers to stay rigid in, in their disciplines, you know. Right, right. Especially in a school where you're requiring students to take classes outside of their, you know, declared major. Yes. Right. You're saying, oh, you need to take this class in this new format, right, that you need to memorize that you're not going to use again, right? So, um, or, you know, these international students who might have a more British style of punctuation and want to put that period outside the quotation mark, right? I mean, I get to that moment and I have a little knee-jerk reaction. And, and I think, how helpful is that, right? Would it be better to look at the argument? Would it be better to look at the source and how they're using sources than to be caught up on the period? Yeah. Right. So we've talked a little bit about how you can approach plagiarism um, in the classroom to, to set students up to think about acknowledging sources and, um, and succeeding in and uh, giving credit to sources that they use. But we want to talk a little bit about how you handle it when students have borrowed from sources in problematic ways. And I guess the details of how to make that encounter with a student actually educational instead of, you know, sort of priestly, you sin right. or punitive, you're going to jail. 
So I think the first thing that I try to do is to make those conversations about plagiarism happen earlier. So that if you're having that first conversation about plagiarism on the last day of class, right, with the last paper, it's going to be an awful conversation, right? Um, so if you can find ways to have conversations about plagiarism, about source use, about um, the, the, the ethical use of sources, Early on, then I think when moments come up, you've got a platform on which to, to, to have a conversation from. Um, I do like the, the advice that I think uh, Ann Curzan mentions in the Beyond Plagiarism uh, website, where she starts off those conversations with, I'm sorry this has happened, right? Which feels like you're making that conversation about people and about a situation as opposed to, again, you did something awful and we're going to talk about how you're going to burn for it. Um, so instead, <laughs> here's... <laughs> that doesn't seem like a learning conversation. It's not quite a learning conversation, but it is. I mean, and we're Teachable mad. Moment. We're Teachable mad. Yeah. And if we can... Say, I'm sorry this can happen and talk to people like human. I don't think anybody wakes up and says, today feels like a good day to plagiarize. <laughs> today feels like the day. Wasn't that the Klingon uh, motto? <laughs> it is. It right. is. Or Sparta. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But it doesn't. I, and maybe I'm too naive and too optimistic and too much of a humanist. But I don't believe that students want to do this to spite us, right? I, don't, I mean, I think that might happen, but it's rare that someone's like, I'm, I'm going to show Steve, right? He thinks he knows plagiarism. I'm going to try to slide one. I mean, maybe it happens, right? Um, but it's, it's trying to have conversations with people and trying not to have that immediate face threat, mm -hmm. right? That immediate challenge to that person's worth, right? How right. dare you do that? What were you thinking, right? I mean, your conversation is limited at that point to awful defenses and you making accusations and nobody ending up learning anything. And it, so it sounds like the, the first order of that kind of meeting is don't set up the conversation for students to have to go there to the defenses or the sort of abject, you know, sort of feeling terrible about themselves. Right. And one really good practical piece of advice is the, the Ann Curzan. Um, I'm sorry this has happened, which sort of displaces it to, a, you know, I'm sorry you did this would yes. be a, a worse thing to say. Are there other sort of practical things that can happen at that meeting um, that help that sort of process? Yeah, I do think allowing students to talk more than you is always uh, helpful both as a teacher so that you're not stuck driving that whole conversation. But it also reveals a whole lot more um, if you allow students to talk about what happened, right? And, and if you can use that as a way to inquire about what's happened, right? To, to investigate that as if it's a, a practice that you're interested in. What happened here, right? Where did things go off the standard pathway because then you can go back and correct it well oh i was doing x y and z i didn't have time i had to rush okay and that feels like a very different kind of conversation than i don't understand what's going on here or 
um, how could you do this? How could you do this? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so to try to uncover what has happened um, in, a, in a way where they don't have to make up excuses. Right. Right. Um, early on in, in teaching at Michigan, I, it was my first semester as a GSI. I had an assignment worth zero points in which student came in with big cut and paste um, Wikipedia article. Right. And my assignment was just show me a little bit of writing. We'll just talk about it. I'll get to know you a little bit. And then I had this moment, like, how do you give a zero on a zero? Right. It's how, a hard question. Yes. And more of a math question than an English teacher. Question. It, is. it was, it was yeah. an existential question. Yeah. It was a philosophical question. Right. How can you fail a, an assignment that's not worth anything? And and it felt like it wasn't the kind of assignment that I needed to report. Right. That just felt really strange to walk down to the director and say this Sort of, I mean, I thought it was a throwaway assignment. It was just like an excuse to to start a conversation, and right. And I think all I said at that moment was, "This is bad. This is bad. This is bad." Right. I mean, that's all I could say <laughs> to yourself or the student. Don't out loud. Okay. Out loud. And then I like walked up to the, you know, I left him and I went to the copier and I made a photocopy of the assignment and handed it back, and that was it. I had no idea. How to have that conversation because I discovered it like in real time. In the moment. In the moment. It wasn't he turned it in and I said, please come into my office. (laughs) But it was, I'm like, oh, look at this. Huh. Where do you think this would live outside of of this assignment? He said, oh, maybe a Wikipedia article. And I said, oh, let's, you know, we all have computers and let's look it up. And I opened it up and he's like, oh, maybe it's more like the uh, time magazine article, you know, the essays in the back of time. And I'm like, ah, we're looking at Wikipedia. And there it was, right? And this is bad and this is bad. And so I didn't have a way of saying what can happen here, right? And and I think because my initial reaction was this is bad, he just gave me stupid excuses, just awful excuses. Oh, I didn't know that you had to do that for this kind of assignment. We only did citations for... um literary analysis in high school. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. And I mean, none of those really uh, made any sense, but I think if I say this is bad, I mean, your only options are no, it's It's, good. It's good. It's fine. (laughs) Or please don't kick me out of Michigan because that's been all the conversations about plagiarism that people have had, you know, especially in high school. Oh, watch out. Cause you know, we're, we're nice here in high school. And I said this when I taught high school, we're nice here in high school. We'll, we'll treat you like human beings. But when you go off to the mean world of, of the university, if they get one whiff of plagiarism, you're out, you'll be, you'll be gone. So, I mean, there was panic in his eyes. And if he was probably not so panicked, he could see there was panic in my eyes as well. <laughs> I'm not sure I answered your question. But. <laughs> that was a great, <laughs> great story. <laughs> no, I think so. I mean, I feel like that does, I mean, it seems like the most important thing that can happen in, in that meeting is to give the student a chance to talk about what led to the situation on paper. Um, because unless it was fraud, there's something else going on. Right. And you're just trying to get at what the something else is and then make that an educational moment. And it could be that the thing that's going on is they've got really poor time management. Right, right. 
they're trying to figure out how to be a student. Right. Yeah. And is there a way, you know, and is there a way that we can build that into our courses that, you know, the, um, I call them SFDs, which is the Anne Lamott uh, essay, um, shitty first draft. Right. <laughs> um, so you have an, a draft that they can turn in that doesn't have any weight. Right. to it right any any uh part to their grade so that they can begin so they're not crunched against time or if they're crunched against time it's to create something that you really have lowered the stakes on or something so that you don't have you try to build in ways that time management can't sink them especially yeah. fresh uh, freshmen freshmen yeah mm-hmm so I wonder, you talked earlier a little bit about how in the business world, for example, or with a press release, we're expected to produce the same document almost. That's, that's what's, what's expected. But um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how some might say that we as teachers plagiarize each other or, or just about the, the culture of sharing, you know, that exists among teachers. We all often say, oh, yeah, you can use my, you know, use my syllabus or yeah, here's this prompt I use that's great. Um, and that's... Plagiarism. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and well, we, even, we even talk about it in that uh-huh. way. Oh, I'm going to steal that idea. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't just say, uh-huh. I'm going to use that and acknowledge it in my syllabus. Um, although in this, this past semester, since I was teaching a course on the theme of inspiration and plagiarism, I did acknowledge where all my writing prompts came from. And the students just thought that was the strangest thing. <laughs> Like, why are you thanking Nick Harp for this assignment? I said, well, because he created it. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, I've never seen that I before. have seen that more in the in the past couple of years yeah. on prompts around the department. Just people saying, oh, thanks to this person for this prompt. And I think that's a good way of showing how we're part of a larger community. Now, the difference is between academic writing and, and teaching resources is there's been um, like an agreement that yes, you can use these ideas, right? That I don't own these ideas unless students are trying to profit off of those, right? Then people get all bent out of shape if uh, students record lectures and try to post them to sites and make money or share notes Mm -hmm. or share exam questions or things like that. Then that's my intellectual property, right? But um, inside the community, the rules are a little bit different. And I think it's inside the community of a business, the rules are different than, oh, you stole my press release for a different company. Now this this is a different issue, right? This is copyright infringement or something like that. Um, but within communities, we, we create our own standards. We create our own conventions about how we exchange ideas. Do you ever think it's a problem when teachers steal from each other? Um... So a leading I, question I feel yeah. like there are times when it seems problematic to share, to, to borrow from someone else. I mean, Angie and I were talking earlier about how our being non-tenure track, if, if someone on the tenure line were to you know, borrow from our syllabus, mm-hmm. that seems problematic because of, of a power differential. When we begin teaching, we, are, we probably, none of our syllabi are more than 15% us. Right. But, you know, I'm, I've been teaching for over 20 years and my syllabi are me, you know? So if I, if my syllabus ends up in somebody else's hands or if somebody 
just says, I'm going to steal that assignment or, but doesn't say it to me. And I see my assignment out in the world. I'm like, Hey, right. That's mine. So I feel like there, there are still rules, right? Yeah. I, I, I think um, placing people's writing in a context as like embodied writers. So that way, right. So that is your work and an acknowledgement I think is really helpful. So if I had, uh, if I saw somebody's syllabus that had one of an assignment that I generated, but it had acknowledged me, right. And this is some, you know, um, big player in the field I, that feels all right. That's that's yes. that citation, that acknowledgement, right. That recognition. It's flattering. That is flattering. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't think I would have, um, a problem with that. Uh, it, it's interesting in English education, uh, there's um, a book out that collects all these um, examples for high school English teachers, right? It's like handouts and uh, ideas and, and philosophies. And there's some rumbling that people complain about the author who has just sort of collected all of these, sometimes without acknowledgement right he goes around the the country and and talks to people and people say oh i have this idea and he said that's great and he collects these i don't think he's trying to claim them as his own per se but he does get the royalty check from that document and so that feels like a place where i mean we no, nobody is going into teaching writing i think for the money um and so it's not that I'm hoping that my, you know, source comic assignment is going to make me wealthy, but I would like it if it connected to me in terms of me as a, as a teacher. Reputation. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. That's funny what you said about how your syllabus now after 20 years of teaching is totally you, but at the beginning, it's hardly you. That's like what Steve's saying about students learning, yes, right? Like right. when they learn to write, they're... They're doing some imitation, you know, maybe quite a bit to learn how to how to get to their own thing. I mean, it seems like that's probably the best thing that we can realize having had this conversation is that if we can recognize that in our own work, we should probably be able to recognize it in our students. Right. Okay, so that's it for this time on Behind the Scaffolding. Thanks so much to Steve for talking with us, and we wish you the best at your new position at Defiance College. They're lucky to have you. They are. Thanks also to the excellent Phil Cameron for his audio expertise and advice, to the Language Resource Center for loaning us the recording studio, to the CRLT Lecturers Professional Development Fund, and most of all, to you for listening. Look for a new episode later this summer. Ha, 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 ha.